Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jadikin. Hey. Hello. What's going on? Just trying to stay cool. It's still hot. It's, Even though it's less hot, it's still hot. You know what? It's muggy. Yeah, it's very muggy. It feels very muggy. And this is all very exciting for people who don't live in Los Angeles. Yeah. We've been having uh, our annual September heat wave. But it's also, I think, combined with the fires. Oh, my God. Like the skies are just... It looks like it's going to rain because it's so smoky, but then the rain doesn't come, obviously. I, was, I really was convinced today that there was going to be rain. I did, too. Like, I checked the weather because I was like, that would be nice. <laughs> no, it's just our forest fires. Somebody set off a fire in Southern California at their gender reveal party. I mean, how much are we supposed to take of this <laughs> at this point? First of all, <laughs> were you guys social distancing at this party? I don't think... I highly doubt it. If you're doing explosives at a party, I feel like social distancing is not on your like list of like... <laughs> <laughs> don't you think? Like, yeah. Hey, let's uh, start a... Like, if you're setting off explosions when it's very dry and hot, you're just... I'm you don't sorry. give a fuck about anyone. No. No, that's just about the dumbest thing you can do. Someone on my block set off fireworks on that day when it was 109 degrees. Look, as dumb as that is, at least it's in the city. But to do it in like a foresty area that's all dry and like red zone, probably like, like you are you did you just move to California? <laughs> like, how do you not know not to do that? It's crazy. It's pretty wild. All right, let's talk about some people we do like, and that is our listeners and also the people who uh, are our listeners and donated to our Patreon this week. Yeah. So this week we had Sophia, Nashia, Orla, VH, Kelly, Katerina, Kirsten, Haley, Camila, Lauren, Jackie, Caitlin, Patricia, Charlotte, Nikki, Nicole, Meg, Taylor, Summer, Jackie, Amy, Jess, Jennifer, Tori, Jillian, Melissa, Andrea, Todd, Amanda, Dorothy, Megan, Emma, Evelyn, and Heather. Okay, Rachel, before we get into today's story, luckily I set a reminder so I could remember to do this. Um, a woman named Tanya emailed me on my personal account and she wanted to do something special for her girlfriend, Tiffany, who was in our Facebook group when that existed. And I think I had some exchanges with her privately. She's a really nice, cool lady. Her birthday is September 9th. Oh my God. So Tanya emailed me and asked if I would give her a special birthday shout out. So Tiffany... This is your special, special birthday shout out. Happy birthday, Tiffany. She said Tiffany has been a longtime fan and was depressed a few years ago and started listening to our show. And it was like one of the only things that made her laugh. Oh, that's sweet. I know all about depression, Tiffany. Look, we all, I, we all, I think, have been depressed. And there's always that one thing that will make you laugh, yes. which is like uh, such a saving grace. Oh, yeah. So I'm happy that we can be that for some sick, depressed. <laughs> <laughs> bitches I am out too. there like it's such a good thing to hear it's like yes thank you like I would probably laugh at us too when I was depressed like I would want someone like us to listen to too so I get it <laughs> that's really sweet well I hope you're having a great birthday Tiffany yeah and hopefully you had some really good cake I hope so yeah hopefully Tanya will let us know what kind of cake they had I would love to know what yeah. kind of cake you had for so your birthday. that's very sweet Tanya you're a good girlfriend you did good I hope. <laughs> I hope Tiffany isn't like, uh, where's my real present? <laughs> cool. Well, this week we are doing a movie versus reality. And this movie was, well, the movie itself, but a very, like, an, this crime inspired a very essential moment in this film. Okay. So... That's what we're going to be talking about today. And the movie is Fargo. Love Fargo. Which is one of my all-time favorite movies. Me too. 
if you haven't seen the movie Fargo, stop this podcast. Go watch the movie Fargo. Yeah. Literally the Michael Jordan gif where he's like, stop, get some help. <laughs> That's how I feel about if you haven't seen Fargo. Get some it's help. It's definitely one of my favorite movies. Go see it. I love it. it. One of the greatest movies ever. Um, it's fantastic. Came out in 1996. Stars Francis McDormand, Steve Buscemi, William H. Macy, yeah. among others. It's fantastic. And the case we're going to be talking about that inspired a very famous scene in Fargo is about Richard Crafts and his wife, Helicrafts. Helicrafts. <laughs> Helicrafts. She's Danish. I love it. Yeah. And my main source was a book by Arthur Herzog. He's a crime writer. I'll tell you the name of the book after. I don't okay. want to give anything away. Okay. So, yeah, but Arthur Herzog, he wrote the book for my main source. I also used a lot of newspaper articles to get some good information on the trial. There's a ton of great information. I mean, the information's really sad and awful, but there's a yeah. lot of information about this case out okay. there. So it was like, I was telling Desi, like, I need more time. Yeah. So that's why this episode's a day late. Richard Crafts was born December 20th, 1937, to John and Lucretia Crafts in New York City. He was the older brother to two sisters, Suzanne and Karen. Richard's father made a lot of money as the head of a public accounting firm that eventually sold before moving the family to Connecticut. The Crafts lived in a large home in the town of Darien, where the children attended private school. After graduating from high school, Richard joined the Marines, which disappointed his parents. His father had hoped that he would become a businessman, but Richard thrived in the Marines in a way that he just didn't at school. He would go on to the U.S. Naval Air Training Station in Florida, where he became a helicopter pilot. Richard spent the next several years traveling throughout the world on assignments. And in 1968, Richard Crafts was hired by Eastern Airlines as a pilot. That's not an airline anymore. No. But it was. Yeah. The following year, he met Hella Nielsen. Hella was born July 5th, 1947, in a small town north of Copenhagen, Denmark. Hella was the only child of Elizabeth and Ib Nielsen, and they showered her with affection and spoiled her. She was well-liked in school, and after graduation, she traveled to England and France, where she worked as an au pair. She spoke three languages, Danish, English, and French, and she was also conversational in a few others. Hmm. In 1967, Hella began her career as a flight attendant when she was hired by Capital Airways, but by 1969, she had been hired as a flight attendant at Pan Am, Ooh. which was a very cool job to have back then. I love old Pan Am pictures. They're yeah. so cool. Well, their whole thing was like, our flight attendants are hot. Right. And then they have the whole new Pan Am area at JFK in uh, New York, Even JFK Airport. It's just like a, like a cafe? No, they like redid it. It's like some kind of thing where it's all retro and it looks really cool. Oh, yeah. I, I think it might be that. like a hotel slash... I think they made a hotel right. at JFK. But it looks really cool. I've seen some pictures. But Pan Am, the airline, long defunct. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hasn't been around for many years. Now, it was Hella and seven other Danish women who were selected out of 200 to be these flight attendants, and they were flown to Miami for training. When Hella met Richard Crafts, there was instant chemistry between the two. Hella's friends and fellow flight attendants found her attraction to him odd because she was so hot, and one of her friends described him as, quote, scruffy. Oh. I mean, it could be... Worse sounding, right? <laughs> he was, he was apparently, they didn't think he was that hot. But then I heard other people describe him as like, oh, he was handsome. Look, he was a ladies' man, regardless. I mean, scruffy can be hot. Yeah, but I don't think he was like a hot scruffy. Yeah, okay. Well, I just also think they were like, she's so much hotter than him. Right. She could do better. But that's like almost true of every hetero couple. <laughs> That the woman's always hotter. Well, I mean... We, look, we see it a lot. We do a, see it yeah. a lot. Okay. So Richard, like I said, he seemed to have no problem with the ladies. He nice. was involved with other women. No, not nice, Debbie. Oh. <laughs> not, in this, not in this instance. Okay. 
He was involved with other women while he was dating Hella, <gasps> including one of the flight attendants that shared an apartment with Hella in Queens. Whoa. So he was like really two-timing her. Okay. She remained highly interested in him, though, even though she knew like, okay, he's a player. But was I'm he really keep- rich? No. Oh, wow. I mean, not like... I mean, he made a good living. Yeah. He was a pilot. I just thought these Pan Am flight attendants were really like... That part of the perks of the job was maybe read, uh, meeting guys who were kind of like wealthy or like successful, right? Yeah. I mean, back in that day. I mean, yeah, but he was... I mean, he had a good job. Okay. He was making a good living. Right. Like, I think at the most he was making at one point in the 80s was like 120000 a year. Oh, that's so really good. So he was good. making a good living. Yeah. Um, so she like knew this about him, though. She was not the only one of his girlfriends. She, that he was, he was seeing all these women on the side, but she didn't mind it that much at the time in the beginning. Okay. One of his ex-girlfriends said of Richard Crafts, quote, he was handsome and a considerate lover. Hmm. He was cocky, but not a braggart. He told Asia war stories from when he was in the Marines. Okay. He was probably a little odd, I suppose. But for me, probably the basic attraction was his unattainableness. Ooh, I I, get that. (laughs) So I think he also had that going for him is that he was so confident that he could just land any woman he didn't need. He wasn't like needy. Yeah. Where do you get that, I wonder? This guy had a lot of confidence with, with women. Hella's relationship with Richard Crafts over the next few years was hot and cold and on and off. He spent 1972 away from her, and he was transferred to Miami while she stayed in New York. The following year, they moved in together, but then he moved out. So it was this constant push-pull yeah. sort of relationship. Which can start to feel like romantic, I think. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, she was did a lot of yearning for him. Yeah, but she also, on the other hand, was like, "Okay, shit or get off the pot." Yeah, are you going to be mine? I mean, that's a common relationship. Bad, like a bad relationship. A bad relationship. Yeah. <laughs> but that you hear that all the time. You know what I mean? Like a again, woman feels again. like they're so invested. It's hard to back out when you, even though you know it's not going to change. I think either. I think. You know, either the the guy or the girl in this scenario probably has experienced that where one person's more invested. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, he really did like like her and was into her. He just was so like aloof. He didn't want to settle down, really. Right. Seems. He was like, I'm a fucking hot pilot at Eastern Airlines. <laughs> I can <laughs> score any flight attendant I want. So soon after. While Hella was on a trip to Bangkok with her parents, Richard flew out to surprise her and even got her and her parents into a nice hotel. And this really impressed her parents. They were charmed by him. They were like, oh, that's so romantic. He flew out to Bangkok. Yeah. But Richard continued this game with Hella where he was over the moon for her one minute and then distant the next. So he was doing a lot of emotional warfare here. Oh, absolutely. Where he was like so romantic with her and over the top and then just cold. And then you're craving that romance again. Absolutely. He promised her that they would get married if she ever became pregnant. And when she eventually did, he beat her up and bullied (gasps) her into having an abortion. Holy shit. That was a swift turn. (laughs) Yeah. It's horrible. Like, had he never done that to her before? This was the first instance that I had read about that he had hit her. Holy shit. She got pregnant again, which he was resistant about at first, but eventually decided that he wanted a child after all and to get married to her. So when she was four months pregnant, Helen Nielsen and Richard Crafts married on November 29th, 1975 in New Hampshire at their friend's house. Okay. Hella was 28 and Richard was about to turn 39. This is like in the 70s? Yeah, 1975. 1975, okay. In 1976, they bought their home in Newtown, Connecticut. Richard kept his apartment in New York. (gasps) Not good. (laughs) It's like, why do you need that? Look, you don't want your husband to have an apartment in New York. There's just nothing good is happening (laughs) there. It just sounds a little suspicious. It sounds too fun to be, like, legit. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Unless I have an apartment in New York. Right. Like, come on. It's not our apartment in New York. Yes. It's my apartment. Yeah. What are you doing there, Richard? Come on. Hella became close friends with her neighbor, Betty, who described her as a loving and involved mother to her three children. She said that Hella loved Christmas and would spend lots of times making wreaths, advent calendars, and decorating the Mm -hmm. house for the holiday. So she was really into that. Hella's friends and acquaintances in Newtown remember her for her generosity and thoughtfulness and how down-to-earth that she was. Richard, on the other hand, hardly displayed the same kind of generosity towards Mm -hmm. his wife. He was a bit of a miser, and despite making a good living as a pilot, he seldom spent money on her. He would the things he would spend money on were like his own personal gadgets oh. and shit that he wanted to buy. But He's like, like I'm at the sharper image, <laughs> buying himself gadgets and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and like their house was actually falling apart, <gasps> like it needed repairs, and like from the outside, there were like parts of it where it was just like a major eyesore. But he right. just would not do the repairs, so everything was left to Hella to sort of handle, Ugh. and she's has a much lower salary. She's making considerably less money than him. As is a, she still a flight attendant? Yes. Oh my God. So she's making considerably less money than him. So she's like really taking care of everything. She's buying the kids clothes. I mean, they have multiple children. She's the mom and she's still working. That's like a lot. And paying for, I would say she's paying for like 75% of everything. <gasps> Jesus. From what I read. Yeah. Now, though Richard never outwardly displayed any alarming behavior in Betty's presence, which is Hella's friend and neighbor, she did become concerned upon seeing a mark on Hella's face one time. At first, Hella told her that she had run into a cabinet, but eventually she admitted that Richard had hit her. According to Hella's friends in New Hampshire, the Crafts were at their home visiting once, and Richard leaned over the dinner table one night and squeezed a pimple on Hella's nose. Ugh, I'm gonna vomit. At the dinner table? That is... That is psychotic. Like, there's something so controlling and gross about that, and, like, humiliating, and, like, everything. Right in front of my salad. Ugh. (laughs) So what that is, I, that is a psychotic move. I, I don't even I don't know how to process that. It's so bizarre. It is bizarre. So Hella jolted up, like, what the fuck are you doing? And she kicked him as she jolted up, and he responded by punching her. <gasps> in front of this dinner table. Wait, they, how many people are there? It's her and their friends. So the friends are there. Yes. He okay. Punched her in front of them. Wow. And then he spent the rest of the evening pretending as if nothing had happened. That is crazy. And they were all like, uh, ha, ha, Like, they didn't, they weren't like richer. They were just, like, so taken aback. They were like, ha, 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 what the fuck? Can you imagine that pimple thing? Like, he had probably been sitting there, like, so enraged about the pimple or something. Dude, you don't I, even, I can't even I, I still can't get over that. You don't even lean over and pop a pimple on someone's nose when you're in private. That no. is like fucking alarming. Let alone <laughs> I'm like so disturbed by that that the punch almost didn't register with me. Cause there's something even more demented about the popping and like more invasive or something. Like, I mean the punch is bad, well, but it's, like it's I think it's because it's so unexpected. It's unexpected, but it's like next level controlling. It's so bizarre. It's really weird. It's really creepy. Um, a weird detail also is that in 1982, Richard got a side job as a rent-a-cop. What? Yeah. Not so much because he needed the money, but for funsies. Oh, exactly what you think of as a -a rent-a-cop. This is a red flag. Yes. This guy's like, I make a living as a flight attendant, but I would also love to be a cop and have a gun. Just for fun. Just for fun. And a -a rent-a-cop. Yeah. So it's like... You're just going in to be an asshole. Yeah. Like, like they were, what do they work at malls and stuff? Like, yeah, but he was also doing patrols like part time. Oh, okay. Like he was just a very, very part time cop. Okay. I didn't even know. Yeah. I don't know how that system works, but a full time asshole. Yes. Absolutely. So he did this kind of police work for several years. He even attended out of state training sessions that he paid for out of pocket. So he would be like, I need to go to a lethal force. Yeah. Training session in Long Beach, California, and he would fly there. Oh, my God. 
That's that's like, yeah, that's another red flag. Absolutely. <laughs> and at this time, Richard got really into guns, and he was <gasps> buying a shit ton of them. Okay. These are the things he's spending his money on, is his, like, training classes for a job he doesn't need and probably shouldn't have. Yeah. It and doesn't seem guns. like he has the right uh, motivation at all to go into it. Like, he's not doing it to help people, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Hella did not like having all these guns in the house, and he just kept buying them. Ugh, can you imagine being stuck in this situation? Awful. Just He's, awful. I looked up, looked him up. He's not even hot. Oh, you did look him up. Does he get? Maybe he was hotter when he was no, younger. No, no. Okay. This is in the eighties, and I saw pictures of him from them. He's not yeah. hot. Richard Crafts continued to disappear on trips and then reappear. He was always really vague about his plans. Hella sought to make her life with Richard and their children as perfect looking on the outside as possible. She continued to work as a flight attendant for Pan Am, but when Richard got sick with cancer in 1984, she sought out side hustles to bring in extra money for the family. She had a curtain business with one of her friends. Like she was just always like carrying the family on her back, basically. Richard survived his cancer despite being given a very small chance of survival, and he was, like, in total remission. Oh, shit. Um, And though Helen knew that her marriage was in disarray and her husband was abusive, like many abused women, she really struggled with the thought of leaving him and just how to Mm -hmm. even go about doing that. But eventually she came to a decision that a divorce was necessary. In September of 1986, Hella Crafts confided in to her friend Lee and her husband Pierre that she was going to divorce Richard. She told them that if she disappeared, it wouldn't be an accident. (gasps) When they asked Hella if she wanted to go to the authorities or if she needed a place to take the kids, she said that Richard would be able to find her wherever she went. So it didn't matter. Hella confided in a number of friends about her marriage to Richard and about her fears of leaving him and that she knew that he was cheating on her. She had told several people the same thing, that if anything happened to her, it was not an accident. (gasps) That's a pretty alarming thing to hear. Yeah. From your friend. Absolutely. Susan Lawston, a friend of Hella's, said, quote, When she said, if anything happens to me, do something, she wasn't referring to this week or next. She meant that Richard might be dangerous in the long run. The guns, his macho aura, if he wanted custody of the kids. She was vague about what she really feared. She only hinted and you couldn't pin her down. And she only made the statement once to me. Richard was baffling. He could be amiable, but he never showed emotion. I heard him say, I never heard him say anything positive or negative. He was very private. Of course, after she began the divorce action, he was afraid she'd upset his apple cart. Wife and kids in Newtown, girlfriend elsewhere. He liked things as they were. Hella had told her divorce attorney, Diane Anderson, that she had suspicions that Richard had a secret girlfriend. Diane hired a private investigator to check it out and confirm that Hella's husband was having an affair. The investigator, a guy named Keith Mayo, first checked out a mysterious phone bill, phone number on the Kraft's telephone bill, and he traced it to a woman named Nancy Dodd in New Jersey. Nancy was a flight attendant at Eastern Airlines, where Richard worked. Oh, seems convenient. (laughs) It wasn't just the fact that Hella found an unknown number on the phone bill. It was also that after Richard saw her studying the bill one time, he snatched it away from her. And from that moment forward, he had their telephone bill sent to a P.O. box. Wow. He's so suspicious. (laughs) This guy's really bad at not appearing suspicious. I'm just going to tell you that from now on. Okay. Hella was able to gain access to the P.O. box, and she found the phone bill with multiple calls to that number. Hella even cross-referenced the dates the calls were made with the times that he was allegedly flying for work. And she had also noticed, like, he's flying a lot more hours than legally he should be flying. Okay. So is he really flying? Yeah. Is he really working? What is he doing with those extra hours? What's, what's yeah. he actually doing? Helen met with private investigator Keith Mayo at her lawyer's office to discuss the next step forward. He was going to catch Richard in the act and get pictures. 
Hella was nervous about this, but felt that it was her best option to secure financial stability for her and the children in the divorce. Richard's car was parked out front of Nancy's house all night, and in the morning, the pair was caught on camera leaving the house together, and they were kissing and hugging. (gasps) And on October 2nd, Keith Mayo met up with Hella to show the photos that he had taken of them together. Though Hella knew in her gut she was still devastated having these fears confirmed on film. Aww. Like she saw the visual proof yeah. and she just was crushed. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. Hella filed divorce papers, and they were scheduled to be served on November 14th in the afternoon when the children wouldn't be home. But Richard deliberately left the house that day. Richard would never end up being served with divorce papers at all. Oh, shit. On November 18th, at around 5 p.m., Hella Crafts had landed in New York after a flight from Frankfurt. She left the airport with her fellow flight attendants, Trudy and Rita, who were also her friends, and they headed for Connecticut in Trudy's car. Hella had spent much of the flight going to Germany, going into Germany and returning back to the States, confiding to Trudy and Rita about the state of her crumbling marriage. But Hella was looking forward to the ski trip that she had planned for her three children in January. Mm -hmm. Trudy dropped off Rita first at her house in Newtown. She then dropped Hella off at her home, which was very close to Rita's. Richard was home with the children, but their live-in nanny would be arriving back to the Crafts house later that night. That night, a storm hit Newtown, Connecticut, and the power had gone off at Rita's house. 
The next day, she could see that the lights were on at the Crafts' home, and she called Hella several times throughout the day but got no answer. Finally, Richard picked up that evening. He said Hella wasn't there. Rita asked when she would be back, and he said, I don't know. By the next morning, Rita grew concerned that Hella had not returned her call yet. She called again, and the nanny Marie picked up. Marie said she must be flying because her flight bags aren't here. But that didn't sound right to Rita, as the airline required a 48-hour waiting period between flights, and it had not been 48 hours yet. They had returned from Frankfurt on Tuesday late afternoon, and this was Thursday morning. Okay. Later that day, Richard Crafts called Rita to tell her that Hella had flown to London and was heading to Denmark to visit her sick mother in the hospital. He said Hella had left the previous morning during the snowstorm. Hella shared a lot about her personal life with Rita, but she had never mentioned anything about her mother being sick. There was also the statement that Hella had told Rita and several other of her close friends, if anything happens to me, it's not an accident. Rita asked Richard for Hella's mother's number so that she could check in with her and console her, and he gave it to her. Rita and Hella were both scheduled that Friday the 21st for a training class at the airline, and Rita called the airline to say that she was unable to attend because her kid was sick and the power was still out, and she also told them that Hella had taken an emergency trip to Denmark to see her mother. The supervisor hadn't heard anything about an emergency trip and said that the, like the time off would need to be requested by Richard, if not from Hella. On Saturday the 22nd, Rita arrived at the airport for another flight to Frankfurt, a flight that Hella had also been scheduled for. At the airport, she saw Hella's Toyota Tercel, but Hella never showed up for the flight. This was very unlike her to just blow off yeah. work. She was a very responsible I mean, person. she had that job for a long time, too. Very, since yeah. the late 60s. Yeah. The following day, while in Europe, Rita called the number that Richard had given her for Hella's mom, but he had given her a fake number. Ugh. When she returned back to New York, she discovered that Richard had never even notified the airline that Hella had to take an emergency leave. And Rita was, like, pissed. She's like, Hella could get fired for this. Right. Like, why didn't you help your wife out and request this leave? Like, you had to do it. I couldn't do it. Yeah. So that was really weird. That's where she is at that point. Yes. So, yeah. On November 25th, the Crafts nanny Marie went to Rita's house where she told her that she had seen a dark stain the size of a grapefruit in the Crafts bedroom. <gasps> and that Richard had torn up the carpet in his room a few days later. When Rita and her husband Frank were returning home from Thanksgiving dinner in Massachusetts, Frank suggested that they go to the Newtown police. But Rita was hesitant, given that Richard Crafts was a cop. <gasps> oh. They're like, we don't want to let him know that... Like, give him a heads up that give we're him, suspicious. Give him a heads up that we're suspicious. They also knew that cops protect other cops, and they were like... What if, what if we inadvertently bury this yeah. thing and it never gets investigated? I mean, they were just like they felt like there wasn't anything they could do at this point. Look, tearing up carpet is always a bad sign. <laughs> Something happened. Absolutely. Like that's just like if someone's missing and then someone tears up carpet, they're guilty. <laughs> it goes hand in hand with taking out a life insurance policy. Yeah, like you just can't. Yeah, you just can't do it. Rita and two other Pan Am flight attendants talked it over, and they had all been told by Hella at one point, if I disappear, it wasn't an accident. By this point, Hella had missed two flights. Richard insisted to anyone who called that she was in Denmark, and he gave a fake number for Hella's mom out again to her friend Lee when she asked. She's like, well, can I get the mom's number so I can talk to her? That's insane. Hella's friend and fellow Pan Am flight attendant, Lena, could speak some Danish, so she was able to speak with someone at the Greater Copenhagen Information, which is like 411. She called them and was like like the operator or yeah. whatever. And she got a hold of Hella's mother's real phone number. <gasps> Mrs. Nielsen told her that no, her daughter had not come to Denmark, and also she wasn't even sick. Yikes. 
When Richard was confronted about this by Hella's friends, he played dumb, saying maybe she was in Paris visiting a friend. But the reality was that it would have been highly unlikely that Hella Crafts, a devoted mother, would just disappear for nine days without telling anyone. This is so suspicious. I mean... (laughs) Also, she missed Thanksgiving. No one goes away at Thanksgiving unless it's an emergency, like from their family. Right. I mean, this is like so fucking suspicious, right? Hella's childhood friend, Jet, contacted Richard Crafts, urging him to contact the police. And he responded that he thought she'd been watching too much Miami Vice. That's like the most 80s (laughs) excuse ever. What an asshole. What an accusation. What an accusation. Maybe you're just watching too much Miami Vice. (laughs) What a pig. Also, you know, when he said that, you know that Richard probably became a cop because he secretly wished he was Miami Vice. Oh, yeah. He wanted to be like the hot cop in the blazer with no, with like a tank top underneath. And no socks. Yeah. That kind of like Don Johnson. Like, like, sorry, sweetie, you're old and in Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> you're not Don Johnson and you never will be. Newton rent. Rent a cop. <laughs> you're a Newtown, Connecticut rent a cop. Uh, <laughs> on December 1st, Rita and two of Hella's friends, other friends, got in touch with Diane Anderson, the divorce attorney, who got in touch with the private investigator, Keith Mayo. Everyone had concerns contacting the police, given Richard Crafts being a cop himself. Anderson and Mayo met with the assistant state's attorney and conveyed their fears about the nanny Marie. They were now worried about the nanny because she was a potential witness. Yes. Because she had... She saw the carpet. She saw the carpet Mm -hmm. and she was in the house the night. She might know more, yeah. She might know more. Mayo drove to one of Marie's other jobs, which was a Newtown consignment store, to talk to her. Marie's boss was being a dick, and he wouldn't let her leave unless a policeman was there. So they waited until a patrolman named Henry Stormer came down to her work and escorted her to the police station. Marie sat with private investigator Keith Mayo at the station and told him that she worked three jobs. One, the living live-in nanny with the crafts. She also worked at McDonald's and also at the consignment store. Holy crap. Though Marie had the day off at the crafts on November 18th, she stopped by the house briefly that afternoon. Hella hadn't arrived home yet from the airport. She then left for her shift at McDonald's, which was from 6 p.m. to midnight. Marie didn't return back to the Crafts home that night until 2 a.m., as she had met with her boyfriend after work. Marie then said she fell asleep at 2.30. Marie then said she awoke at 6 a.m. to the sound of Richard Crafts knocking on her bedroom door, telling her to get up. (gasps) He was in a robe and slippers, and he looked like shit. He told her that the power was out, and they needed to go with the kids to his sister's house. As they left the house, Marie noticed that Hella's Toyota Tercel, the car that she had borrowed to drive to and from her McDonald's job, was gone. Marie asked where Hella was, and Richard said that she would meet them at at his sister's. I like that you would have to go because the power was out in the middle of the night, as if that would matter. Well, it was 6 a.m. Oh, it was 6 a.m. Yeah, he woke her up at 6 a.m. Okay, sorry. Practically the middle of the night, Debbie. Honestly, practically the middle (laughs) of the night. For some of us, that is. For me, that is the middle of the night. I'm sleeping then. But still, like, it's daylight coming. Uh, Like, it doesn't make sense to me as an excuse. Yeah, I mean, he said, he's like, it's going to get cold. He's like, it's going to get cold and we're going to have no heat. But they had a fireplace that was working. I mean, there was just, she was like, this is dumb. Also, it's November, so it's getting cool, but it's not exactly like 20 degrees below zero or something. Yeah, it just seemed fishy to her, but she's like, okay, you're you're the boss. I mean, looking back, obviously, it's definitely fishy. Absolutely. So he's like, don't worry, Hella will meet meet us at my sister's. But she never showed up. Richard became irritated when Marie asked where she was. Ugh. Like, how dare you? <laughs> Don't you know her mom's dying? She had to go, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> that Friday, Richard told Marie that Hella was in Denmark visiting her mother. Detective Norian at the Newtown police arrived at the station, and according to Keith Mayo, he did not want to be there. 
He thought Hella disappeared on purpose and would come home eventually. He even likened her to a stray dog. (gasps) He was like, she's a stray dog. She'll come home when she wants to. He was also about to embark on a 10-day vacation, and he was like, I'm about to go on vacation. I don't want to deal with this. Like, sir, this is a job you signed up for. (laughs) Yeah, Fucking asshole. I mean, murders don't happen at your convenience. (laughs) Also, like, yeah. (laughs) The detective would later refute Mayo's claims that he was ever disinterested in the case, but look, I believe it. Yeah. Because of some of their other actions. Nevertheless, Marie gave her statement to the police. Hella's friend Rita also gave a statement that day, and Newtown police came to the conclusion that Hella's friends were nothing more than a bunch of nosy housewives with nothing better to do. Keith Mayo looked into whether or not Hella had flown on Pan Am to Denmark, and she hadn't, nor had she flown on Scandinavian Airlines. So this private detective is doing all the work. Yeah. He's doing the police investigation. He's also not getting paid for this at this point. He's just invested. He's really invested. What happened to her? He's invested in this. He does at some point get some money, like Hella's friends pool together some money. Right. And pay him just to, just to work. Like he's probably not making much of a profit. Like they're paying him to. For his expenses and traveling and like whatever. Exactly. And Hella's car was still parked at the airport. But Newtown police had yet to seize the vehicle, and Mayo was unable to search it without permission from Richard Crafts. Feeling dejected, Mayo contacted the editor of Connecticut's Danbury News Times and told him about Hella's disappearance. Reporter Patrick O'Neill was assigned to the story. When Detective Norian first talked to Richard Crafts, he said the reason that he didn't contact the police is because he didn't want to air his wife's dirty laundry. He claimed that Hella had run off with a boyfriend from New York. Richard volunteered to take a polygraph test and he passed. But Keith knew that Richard had long ago been a pilot at Air America with the CIA and that he probably knew how to fool one. Yeah. Also, we know now polygraph tests are really unreliable. Yeah. And not even admissible in court. No. Hella's friends had never heard her mention having a secret boyfriend from New York, and I'm sure Hella would have told them. Yeah, it's that just an detail. obvious lie. The only other man besides Richard that they even knew about was a pilot she dated a long time ago, way before Richard, and he lived on the West Coast. I mean, I wish Hella had a boyfriend. Me too. <laughs> she deserved yeah. it. Come on, this guy sucks. Keith Mayo became determined to find the rug that Marie said looked to be a blood stain on it. Okay. So this is the carpet that was pulled up, was torn up. So Keith knew he was going to have to go digging through some garbage. Okay. He tracked down the landfill where it would have been dumped, which was in a town called Canterbury three hours away. Is this just a few weeks after she disappeared? Still? Yes. Okay. This is a couple weeks. So. Okay. So it would still be possible to find it. Yes, because yeah. it's only a couple weeks after. Okay. But still, it's going to be a mission. Yeah. Because it's not like he had just thrown it out. Yes. It's like weeks later. Marie stealthily grabbed a strip of carpet that had been left behind by Richard Crafts when he tore it all up. There was still like a little patch of it. So he could match it. So they could match it. Keith then assembled a ragtag group of friends to search the landfill. And he paid them like a hundred bucks a day to do it. They combed through piles of garbage for days until miraculously they found carpet that appeared to be a match. (gasps) It had a stain on it also. Oh my God. Which isn't that unusual considering it's in the dump. dump, But but at the time they're like, there's a stain. There's a stain. Yeah, can you imagine how thrilling that would be? Dude, (laughs) this chapter in the book about them digging through this landfill for week or for days, it's like six days they dug through it. It is like, it is like a, it's a saga. Yeah. And so when they finally find this patch of carpet or this, they're so excited By this time, Keith was trying to get the state police involved with the case as the Newtown police were dragging their ass and being complete buffoons about even touching this. 
The state's attorney, Walter Flanagan, was informed on the details of the case, and he wrote a letter to the Newtown police saying that the investigation was now going to be turned over to the state, state <gasps> police. Good. Newtown police was pissed and humiliated and, like, they had just gotten busted for not investigating this obvious, suspicious they disappearance. They should be humiliated. Absolutely. I like when they're mad that they get busted. It's like, no, you shouldn't be mad you got busted. <laughs> like, you, that's your fault. Like, Absolutely. Dr. Henry Lee, one of the top forensic scientists at Meridian, anal- mm. analyzed the rug from the landfill, and it was determined not to be a match <gasps> oh, to no. the rug from the Crafts home. It looked similar, but it was not a match. So that's unfortunate. But the good news was is that the investigation was being taken over from the yeah. Newtown police. The police surmised that Richard Crafts had disposed of Hella Crafts' body the night of the storm. They were looking for a witness who could place him driving his car at that time in those early morning hours yeah. when it was still dark. As detectives combed through Richard's credit card transactions, they discovered that on November 18th, he had rented a wood chipper. <gasps> Around the same time, he had purchased a chest freezer and he had also rented a U-Haul truck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> That's quite a suspicious trifecta of purchases and rentals. <laughs> He's not renting a DVD. <laughs> Wait, what did, did, they, did they even have VHSs then? In the it's eighty six. Could you rent? A, oh yeah, I'm you, sure. Could, could you, you get rent, a VHS? Could you rent a VHS then? Yeah, definitely. Don't they, you think? I think they just came out with VHSs, like to take home. Oh, could you? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't really a hundred percent know, but I think so. Yeah. I think that they had blockbusters and stuff already or like small video rental stores. Yeah. Right? By 86? Yeah. yeah. Come yeah. on. Okay. So, but look, he wasn't, he, he wasn't renting uh, Romancing the Stone. No. <laughs> <laughs> on December 26, 1986, the crime squad descended on the Crafts home with a search warrant. In the kitchen, they found a note dated December 23rd that was stuck to a cupboard that read, Hella, I'm at Mother's with the children. Please come home. We love you. R. Police were like, uh, he obviously planted this note and left it right on the cupboard for us to find. Also, why would he leave a note to his wife at the house where she had left? Like in case she came home? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the whole thing is dumb. It was to basically be like, see, I'm concerned. I left her this note. I left her mm-hmm. this note. But Richard had, well, he was not at the home during the search. He had allegedly left for Florida on the 22nd with the children. The house was a disaster. Furniture had been moved all over the house. Like, furniture was just out of place. Like, there was shit in the dining room that, like, should not have been in the dining room. The children's bedrooms had also been stripped except for a bed in the middle of each room and the box springs had been removed. Oh, weird. It was a bizarre scene. The carpet was all ripped up. Like he ripped up all that carpet. And the toys in the master bedroom indicated that the kids had been sleeping in there with Richard. Then they found Richard's large stockpile of guns. He had 51 guns and two hand grenades. Dude, why do you have 51 guns? That is crazy. I'm sorry. Why do you have two hand grenades? What are you doing with a hand grenade? I don't know. What are you doing with that? Look, 50 to 60 wild feral hogs could be coming in. (laughs) Your kids are playing. What are you going to do, Rachel? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I could see maybe people buying them. Like I, like some freaks who like collect shit that's like, these are Korean War grenades or something like, like I could see it like that, but it's definitely creepy. Uh, yeah. In combination with 51 guns, like weird. It's weird that you have hand grenades, I think. It's not very common. <laughs> <laughs> and watch our email box fill up. Actually. <laughs> I have hand grenades and you bitches are out of touch. Have you ever, have you ever hunted moose? <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> you could, they can only be killed with the blast of a grenade. <laughs> Have you seen how big they are? Actually, meese? Moose? Mooses Moose? are really Mooses? fucking huge. Mooses are so big. Remember that video that went viral where it was like walking down the freeway and it was literally like 
it was like a Muppet, like from the Dark Crystal or something. Like it was so massive. How are they so big? I don't think I ever have truly seen a moose until that video came out, like outside of like a cartoon drawing or something. I just assumed they were the same size as like a deer. I thought it was like a large buck. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't like realize a, it was actually like nine feet tall. Like a, like a boy deer, a buck. It looks like something out of like the woolly mammoth era or something. It's crazy. They're too big. They're grenade big. <laughs> you know what? I think we cracked the case of why you need hand grenades. Seriously. Do they have moose in Connecticut? Probably. It's cold there. It seems like it. What do I know? <laughs> You know what? Maybe our Canadian listeners can give us insight. They're going to be so mad at us. Have you ever come across a moose in the wild and were you terrified? Are mo- are they friendly? What is the plural? <laughs> I think moose is just singular and plural. I think it is. Yeah. Because moose not- doesn't sound right. That sounds dumb, bitch. <laughs> like a herd of meese coming at you. It doesn't sound very frightening at all. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, Okay. Why did he? Why do you need the grenades, Richard? I don't know. Uh, what else? Oh, they also searched a lot that Richard owned on Currituck Road, and Richard said he was going to build a house there. Like he had plans to build a house there, but he just owned this lot. So they searched that lot, and it was kind of like a wooded area. You know, okay. it wasn't just like a, it wasn't a parking lot basically, but it was a lot of land. There, they found Richard's Ford Crown Victoria, which is a police car. Yeah. Um, Inside the trunk, the mat was missing, and there were wood chips inside. Police seized 113 items from the Crafts home. They also found spots of blood on the mattress in the master bedroom. The box spring and the comforter and the bed skirt were all missing from the bed. Washcloths that they found in the house also tested positive for blood. Huh. 29th of December, police went back to the lot on Curritic Road to investigate the mine shaft on the property. The bl- yeah, it sounds scary. The bloodhound that they brought along didn't find a body, but she did bite one of the cops. Nice. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. uh. A roads development driver named Joey Hine had reported that he had spotted a wood chipper and a truck on the side of River Road at the bank of Lake Zor between 3 and 4 a.m. on November 19th. Police interviewed him, and he said that he saw a man come out from behind the truck wearing an orange poncho and that he motioned him forward as if he were a traffic cop. He also said that he saw piles of wood chips in several different locations along River Road. Joey led police to the location where they found amongst the piles of wood chips blue and white scraps of paper. One item amongst the chips was nearly intact. It was an envelope addressed to Helicrafts. Wow. 30 bags of wood chips were hauled back to a garage to be investigated by the police. Among the wood chips taken from the locations on River Road and from inside Richard's Crown Vic were blonde strands of hair, bone fragments, pieces of flesh, a red fingernail with flesh attached, a toe, a piece of a finger, a thumb, and a tooth with a dental crown. Oh my God. An exhaustive search was also done in the lake as well, where police recovered a chainsaw with a serial number filed off. Jesus Christ. The chainsaw had blonde hairs in the teeth of the chain. Inside the U-Haul that Richard had rented, police found hair and blood. 
the blood type matched Helicraft's. And the unique dental work found on the tooth helped to confirm by dental records that it belonged to Helicraft's. A death certificate was then issued for her. Now, this search through all of these wood chips was, when I say exhaustive, I mean exhaustive. They spent countless hours sifting. Oh, my God. Pouring through. I mean, it was a huge piles of chips. And you can't even imagine the amount of, like, hours this took just to find teeny tiny little bone fragments. Yes, there was, like, an intact thumb. I mean, that was, like, the biggest thing they found. Right. But everything was Mm itty-bitty. Even the hair was chopped into a million pieces. Yes. But there were hair fragments. It was, like, one of the craziest forensic investigations in the state's history. Due to the blood spots on the mattress, police speculated that Hella had been murdered with a blunt object. Richard Crafts was arrested on January 13, 1987. The front page of the New York Daily News read, Chopped to Pieces. Wow. Yeah, not very tactful. <laughs> the trial began the following year in 1988. The state's case against Richard Crafts was based entirely on circumstantial evidence because there was no body. The defense would argue that there was no way to definitively prove the remnants found on the banks of Lake Zor were from Helicrafts, and also that Helicrafts was still alive and had left her family voluntarily. I mean, that's their only option as far as the defense goes, right? Because it's pretty damning. Right. And they don't have DNA evidence at this point. Right. So they can say, yeah, it's the, it's the same blood type as her. And it's blonde hair. And, and she's missing. And you rented a wood chipper. But, <laughs> but is it really her? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Now, obviously, the state was like, this man murdered his wife. And then he put her body in the freezer that he bought. In the new freezer he bought, uh, after she was frozen, he fed her into the wood chipper. Right. And to dispose of her. That was like the state's theory, and that's uh, this is the case against him. Um, Also, sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say, did he freeze her because he had to wait, or was it easier to put her in when she was frozen? I think it was easier to put her in. That was what they speculated, that it was easy to chop her up if she was frozen. Hard, Hard, yeah. Yeah. At the time, this was the first case in Connecticut history to attempt to convict someone of murder without a body. Hella's friends and family testified for the prosecution. Susan Lawston told the court that Hella had first asked for a divorce in August of 1986. She said that Richard told Hella that his recent test results from his oncologist had indicated that his cancer was going to come back. Hella then called the doctor, and he was like, that's not true. We just got his results back. He looks great. Oh. So he's using, like, oh, I'm going to get cancer again. Right. It's going to come back. You have to stay with me. The last time Susan talked to Hella was a week before her disappearance. She said that her and Richard had gotten into a huge fight. Marie Thomas, the nanny, also testified to overhearing an unusually loud fight happen a week before the disappearance. Keith Mayo also testified for the state. He put the Newtown Police Department on blast for them not taking the investigation seriously for several weeks after Hella went missing. The author of the book, the one where I got a lot of my information from, Arthur Herzog, was placed on a list of potential witnesses for the defense. So he was barred from being in the courtroom during testimony. But after much begging and pleading to be taken off the list, the defense attorney finally agreed. He said he only agreed to take him off the list because, quote, I can't stand to see a grown man cry. And he's a nudge. I had to get him off my back. The reason he was on the potential witness list is because he had a contract with private investigator Keith Mayo to get a have a portion of his book sales because Keith advised him while he while he was writing the book. So he's like, You have a financial stake. Right. In my client being convicted. Right. To, and Keith is biased to sell your book. Yeah. Whatever. Right. That's like the ending they want for the book. Absolutely. Yeah. 
The jury was shown dozens of bone fragments that had been entered into evidence, as well as the tooth they found at the scene that was believed to have belonged to Hella. Hella's dentist testified that he strongly believed that this was hers based on the unique crown that he had attached. Two Eastern air flight attendants testified that they were having an affair with Richard Crafts throughout the 80s, including up to and after the time Hella went missing. One of the flight attendants who testified was Nancy Dodd, who was the woman caught on camera. Judy, the other flight attendant, said that she spent the night with Richard on December 11th, 1986, just weeks after Hella's disappearance. She was also with him again on the 30th, and when she asked him about his wife, he said he didn't know. She said she thought it was weird for her to go missing during Thanksgiving and Christmas, to which Richard replied, maybe she didn't want to cook two turkeys. Richard took the stand in his own defense, claiming that he never raised a hand at his wife, but yes, he was unfaithful. He also said that he rented the wood chipper to get rid of brush that was around the lot he owned. The trial resulted in a hung jury. (gasps) What? (laughs) One juror was like, I don't know. I think he's innocent. (laughs) I hate that juror. (laughs) How do you listen to this? It's also insane to me that it's like, there's no body. It's like, uh, (laughs) that seems like a go ahead to every murderer to just put a body in a wood chipper then. Like if that makes it not like official, like. I mean, there's also a thumb and a finger. Even if there was no, he clearly maimed this woman in some way. If there's chips of flesh and bone in 35 bags, that's a body. (laughs) Like, yeah. You know what I mean? It's not just a thumb and a tooth. That could be just like a part or something. I don't care if he can't see a face. That's a body in there. Yeah. I just don't. Yeah. It's too... It's insane. Like, I get it, circumstantial evidence, but this is too circumstantial. Sometimes jurors are a little bit too, like, there's a reasonable doubt. It's like, no, that's not reasonable. (laughs) It's not just doubt. Like, possibly, it's like reasonable doubt, sir. I'm just assuming it's a guy for some reason. Especially the defense. This isn't like Richard was being framed. They weren't like, this is police corruption or he was being framed. Right. They were like, she left on her own accord. Yeah. Yeah. Even the defense sucks ass. Yeah. But they had another trial, and in 1990, Richard was found guilty of murder and sentenced to 50 years in prison. However, this year, (gasps) Richard was released. No. It has not been 50 years, Desi. It's not even been 30 years. No. He was released from prison for good behavior. (gasps) Now, there was a law that was in effect in Connecticut when this... went down that's since been like repealed or whatever but yeah he's been he was like a model prisoner um he's been released like look he's probably not a threat to the community anymore he's like 87 years old um do i think he's still a fucking asshole yes i don't age ain't nothing but a number (laughs) when you're an asshole yeah uh did they ever test anything with dna you know, I don't know. I could look into that. Maybe oh, they just didn't I'm just, think... It didn't matter at that point because yeah, he was convicted. Maybe they didn't want to re- need to reopen the case. I am curious to know if anyone requested to retest it. I'm just thinking to like officially be like, yeah, that's her. Like, Do you know what I mean? Even though we all know it is. Right. I would, I would be interested in that. Yeah. I think that that's like a worthy... I mean, if they had time to do it. Yeah. I know there's more pressing yeah. stuff. I was just but. curious because sometimes people who are obsessed with cases will pay for that. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, wow. So Fargo was inspired, like that scene in Fargo with the wood chipper was inspired by this case. Yeah. I mean, he even seems really bumbling like the William H. Macy character was, like that kind of bad criminal, you know, like are not a... In Clever. over his head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for he, sure. He was not the savviest criminal. No. It, uh, yeah. I, I don't think know. he could have gone about this uh, a, a lot better. Well, he probably didn't really plan it. It no. seems like, yeah, pretty, I think it happened probably unexpectedly. And then he had to get rid of the body. But he rented the wood chipper the day she disappeared. So it seemed oh. like he'd been planning it for a oh, while. Maybe he was. But he, look. You did a bad job with this one, Richard. Yeah. 
I mean, that's even more embarrassing if he planned it. <laughs> Why would you ever rent a wood chipper? That's just so suspicious to me. But maybe Absolutely. I've never lived anywhere where I would have needed one. Well, and I also think because of the movie Fargo, we associate wood chippers with that scene. Right. But before, they didn't have a frame of reference. A wood chipper was just a wood chipper. Um, that scene is so gruesome. Fucking Steve Buscemi. <laughs> Sorry, spoilers. Just like, I remember like the parts getting stuck. Wasn't there like a leg or something? There was a, there's a leg sticking out of it when yeah. she arrives. Yes. It's a great scene. I mean, the Coen brothers do violence really well. I agree. Or like bloody kind of stuff where you're just kind of like, you're not, it's awful and horrifying, but you're not like grossed out or something. Like, I, I can't explain it, but you know what I'm saying? Like, they just do it really well for me. Yeah, they do a good job. I love that movie so much. I want to so I want to watch it again. I've seen it like a hundred times. I've seen it a bunch because it used to be on TV a lot. Yeah. And I feel like I would watch it whenever. Like those were the days where if something came on, you just watched it from no matter what part it was starting at right. or what you came in on because every scene is just so amazing. I just love... I just love anything that's like set in the Midwest like that too. It's a really beautiful snowy movie. Yeah. Like I just love the look of it besides the story. Like it's just stunning. I visually. like all I just like all the Midwest stuff too. I love all the hot dishes. Oh yeah. And like all the food, all the like weird Midwestern food that you see in the movie. Yes. And like all her friends and like And the restaurants they go to, like the the, yeah, yeah, the buffet. The There's buffet. like that buffet restaurant. Yes, and she's eating Arby's. Yeah, or he's eating Arby's in bed. Somebody's no, the food eating. Is like, oh yeah, because she's pregnant. She's like nine months pregnant in that yeah. movie. So she's eating weird food. She's eating Arby's. It's really funny in bed, yeah. or he or her husband is. Somebody's eating Arby's in bed. Go watch the movie if you haven't seen it. Yeah, it's really good. It's definitely good. So yeah, so cool. I don't think I have ever heard this story. Really? I feel like I should have because I lived in that area at the time, but yeah. I probably just wasn't. I mean, I was young, so I wasn't like reading the newspaper every day. Is Connecticut part of the tri-state yeah. area? Uh-huh. It's New York, Connecticut. And it was you had a post headline, but it wasn't like I was, I don't even think we had the post. We got Newsday. Right. Oh. It was like the upper scale tabloid, <laughs> New York tabloid. <laughs> We got Newsday. I think it was because it was Long Island. Like there was a different version. Yeah, there, there was a Newsday in Long Island. Um, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, that's. Uh, I I would have. I should have seen that. I don't even think I knew that that movie had any basis in reality. Well, it's interesting because at the beginning of the movie, it famously says this movie is true. Yes, but it was always sort of like tongue-in-cheek. It, it was a tongue-in-cheek, yeah. and it says everything has been, details have remained the same out of respect for the yeah. whatever, the the dead and whatever. I just love thinking of the Coen brothers seeing that story and being like, let's put that in the bank. <laughs> We're going to do a wood chipper scene. Do you know what I mean? Like Yes. Like they knew that that was like a visually insane thing to see on a film, like like a like an Oscar winning film, not like a horror movie type yes. deal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A great touch. Yeah. Horrific case. I mean, Helicrafts did not deserve this. No. This so is awful. Such an awful Poor what thing. an awful person to do this to her. Ugh, just awful. Absolutely. So anyway, uh, cool. well, Interesting. we'll we'll see you guys on Friday. And we'll hopefully see some pics. Do we have some pics from this? I do have pictures. Oh, cool. Yay. Okay. Yay. Bye. Bye.